This series is designed to encourage everyone to engage in a big Bible theme throughout the week. And don't forget to share the teaching link or sermon with your friends. Let's grow together as disciples of Jesus. Good morning. So, as I said, this topic is one that we all deal with, anger, is it not? How many have been angry this week? Right? All right. So, over the past three months, there's been an abundance of precaution so that people don't contract this uh, spread of the COVID virus, but um, there's something spreading that is even more dangerous or as dangerous, and that is anger. Uh, Our country is angry. It seems like maybe the whole world is angry, and it's very destructive. Anger is even more destructive than the physical virus. And uh, if you are currently carrying the contagion of anger within you, at this moment, I want you to take a deep breath and exhale. Now, some of you are going to go to heaven because you did that, and others are going to have to work through why they didn't be honest with themselves. Anger is something we all deal with. I mean, we all deal with it from time to time. It just seems like when I, when I was uh, several weeks ago, as we're doing this Church at Home series, I've been trying to address uh, topics that not only are, are big themes in the scriptures, but also addressing issues that are relevant to our current situation. And uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, I told Maria, I was like, honey, I, I, it seems like everywhere I go, everybody's angry. I think I'm angry too. <laughs> so I was like, I gotta, I gotta talk about this. We need, to, we need to deal with this. Um, so there's this emotional contagion term. You might be familiar with this if you've done psychology one, right? Uh, is the phenomenon of having one person's emotions and related behaviors directly triggered uh, by some emotions and behaviors in other people, right? So uh, we experience this at football games. You know, everybody starts cheering, or we might be at a concert and everybody starts you know, uh, uh, celebrating, clapping, or even at church. Have you ever walked into church discouraged, but you got around a bunch of encouraging people, and uh, you started to carry that same joy that was in the room, right? I think that's one of the strengths of Cornerstone, is that people come here and they say, I sense the power of the Holy Spirit, I sense joy, I sense love, I sense belonging, and so... So uh, this emotional contagion uh, term, this phenomenon, we deal with uh, probably every week. Uh, but uh, there, is, uh, there is this emotional contagion of anger that seems to, not seems to, is spreading throughout, uh, and throughout the land. And, and so some people will just say, I'm angry. And others of us use more veiled expressions when we talk about our anger. We say things like this. I'm over this. Anybody said that lately? I, I'm over this, right? Or uh, I'm frustrated. Or uh, I feel betrayed. Sometimes anger turns outward and we do and say things we wish we wouldn't have. But sometimes anger turns inward and it creates all kinds of problems. When anger turns inward, it becomes depression. It becomes sleeping disorders. It becomes eating disorders. And so emotions uh, uh, spread widely throughout our uh, interacting with one another, but uh, be it as it may, we have this new thing that we've been dealing with for a couple decades now, I think, and that is social media. And so now we have a new way to spread our emotions throughout the land, and uh, it seems like 
Uh, these emojis are now, a couple years ago, people were like, what, does, what is an emoji? And now we know what emojis are, right? And the one I've been seeing a lot of is that little orange guy at the bottom, the angry guy, right? I've been seeing a lot of him. Uh, it's stressful. It's a stressful time. It's difficult when uh, things that we're used to uh, experiencing are turned upside down, like life, jobs, you know, going to the restaurant, whatever. And so um, that we should not be surprised that anger is spreading throughout our land in a very uh, destructive way. Now, there are at least five levels of anger, depending on who you read. Uh, there's that, you know, let's, let's imagine my arm as, as the gauge, right? There's that mild mild irritation, and then there's, you know, indignation and, and, and wrath, and then fury, and then way over here is rage, right? So there's different levels of anger we're, we're, we, we all work through, and of course the, the ones to, the, to, to my far right are the worst ones. Um, <clears throat> a, 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 a secondary, this is, anger is considered in psychology a secondary emotion, uh, actually, there's a, a more primary emotion underneath anger. Anger is sort of a big umbrella word. There's other terms that, that deal, drill down deeper into where that anger comes from. And so uh, usually what fuels our anger are these primary emotions of, um, you know, feeling betrayed or uh, feeling neglected or feeling... Um, stepped on and 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 less than and so that usually feeds into that that big anger some sadness or grief or hurt is fueling that anger and so um you know during this period of time uh i've been feeling inadequate as a minister because everything's changed so much maybe you've been feeling uh, a sense of inadequacy or anxiety, and you're like, why, why am I angry? Well, there's a more primary emotion down there. There's something that's driving that. And so, um, you know, we have, uh, we have to, when we talk about anger, we have to drill down deep. Uh, some people are, are angry, but their real fear is a fear of death, and that's what drives that anger. You know, so there's, there's a primary emotion and this is what the Holy Spirit helps us do as we study Scripture, as we, as we contemplate what's going on in our hearts and minds. It can d- go down deep into something that's, that's broken in us, something that is, is, is more, more harder to discover. And we just say, I'm angry, but there's something down deep. Now, there's a lot of Scriptures that we could go to to talk about anger. It's throughout the whole Scripture, right? One of the very first stories we read about in Genesis is about Cain and Abel, and there was an anger issue there, and it resulted in murder, and God warned, warned Cain about that, that there was a monster outside the door of his, of his heart, right? It was going to consume him, and so, so there's a lot of places we could go. Uh, one that Marie and I uh, recognize that's important in our relationship is Ephesians 4.26. Some of you married couples know this one, do not be angry. And do not sin, or let the, sin, let the sun go down on your anger, right? And so we live by this principle. We haven't spoken in over a week. But anyway, <laughs> just joking. We speak every day, and it's usually not angry. But uh, I, I, we're going to be looking in the book of James, the book of James, and there's a couple reasons why. But before we read uh, our primary text today... I want to give, let the Bible Project people give you a little bit of background to who James was, 
the influences in James's writing and uh, the audience that he was reaching out to. The letter of James, or at least that's his name in English. If you look in the Greek, you will see that his name is Jacobas, which translates his Hebrew name Yaakov. And that's why most ancient and modern translations render his name as Jacob, and that's what we're going to call him in this video. Now there are many Jacobs in the New Testament. Two of them belong to Jesus' inner circle of the twelve disciples, but this letter comes from the Jacob who was the half-brother of Jesus himself. Now we learn this Jacob story from the book of Acts and from Paul's letters. After Peter moved on from Jerusalem to go start new churches, Jesus' half-brother Jacob rose to prominence as a leader in the mother church in Jerusalem. It was made up mostly of Messianic or Christian Jews. This was the first Christian community ever, and we know that it fell on hard times during the 20 years that Jacob was its leader. There was a famine that led to great poverty in the region, and these Messianic Jews were being persecuted by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. But through it all, Jacob was known as a pillar of the Jerusalem church. He was also known as a peacemaker who led with wisdom and courage until he was tragically murdered. And in this book, we have the legacy of Jacob's teaching and wisdom condensed into a short and very powerful work. The book begins like a letter. He greets all the Messianic Jews who were living outside the land of Israel. But this does not read like one of Paul's letters where he addresses specific problems in one local church. Rather, this book is a summary of Jacob's sage wisdom for any and every community of Jesus' followers. And Jacob's goal isn't to teach new theological information. Rather, he wants to get in your business and challenge how you live. Jacob's wisdom has been heavily influenced by two sources. The first is Jesus' teaching about life in the kingdom of God, especially the Sermon on the Mount, which he's constantly echoing and quoting in the book. The second key influence is the biblical wisdom book of Proverbs, especially the poems in Proverbs 1 through 9. Jacob literally grew up with Jesus and with the book of Proverbs, and so now his own teaching sounds like them. It's stamped by their language and imagery. The book consists of short, challenging wisdom speeches that are full of metaphors and easy to memorize one-liners. And in essence, Jacob is calling the Messianic community to become truly wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So I hope you can watch that entire video. Go to BibleProject.com. Anytime you read a book in the Bible, it's good to start there. Get the overview, get the big picture before you wade into uh, reading the text itself. And so uh, I, we can see that uh, a little bit of the background where James is coming from. We can see the influences in his life and then his life tragically ends in that he's murdered uh, by Jews. And so there was a great amount of prejudice that the Jews had towards the Gentiles and that the Jews had towards those Jews that converted to Christianity. There's also uh, mixed in among all of the church are these Roman atrocities to all kinds of people, Jews, Christians, Gentiles, anybody that they stepped, uh, stepped on, you know, they, they, uh, they, they were uh, full of all kinds of violent acts themselves. And this is, this is why, this is why when we read the Bible, we're reading the most relevant piece of information that we could read to our time. And so <clears throat> there, there's, there's never been a, a, a more relevant time to look into Scripture and say, what does the Bible say about this? And today we're talking about anger. So here's our beginning of our text. Understand this, James says, My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God's, God desires. And so, like, I mean, right out of the gate, chapter 1, we're all like, oh, wow. Thanks, James. Uh, could you say something that would have been a little bit more uh, easier to, uh, to, to, to do in our lives? Uh, I think these Proverbs definitely are influencing James, as was mentioned in the background video. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Abraham Lincoln had a version of that that he would often say. Uh, it, is a, it is a foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet, right? So the proverbial wisdom that James is pulling from is not only widely understood throughout the Jewish community, but even the, uh, the Stoics and the Epicurean philosophers of Jesus' day would say things very similar to this. So the issue of taming the tongue and, uh, and, and also taming what we type or what we text, right, uh, is not a new struggle. It is, a, it is, a, it is a, as, old as, as old as mankind is dealing with the issue of taming our tongues in relationship to anger and what we say and what we do. Um, back to our primary text as we read this one more time in case you didn't get it the first time. Understand this, dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. What James does not say here is any qualifiers. James doesn't say, be slow to anger unless you've been quarantined with them three months. Like he, he doesn't say that, right? He doesn't say, slow to anger unless you have a different opinion about this issue. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't give us the qualifiers that we would hope for that would help justify our anger. So we would feel okay about being angry about whatever the situation is. Um, why is it so important to not be quick to anger? Because we cannot live right. James says it does not produce the righteousness God desires. The old King James, old, old King James, there are about 27 versions of the King James Bible. Well, one of the old, old ones said, use, instead of saying righteousness, it would say right way of living. The right way of living. In other words, anger does not produce a right way of living. We can't achieve what God wants us to achieve, and that's transformation. And so, um, so anyway, someone might say, hey, preacher, I'm good. I don't throw things. I don't cuss anybody out. That's good. But not all destructive anger is, as we've already mentioned, is on the outside. Sometimes anger can be passive-aggressive, right, where we stonewall our person that we should be not stonewalling, you know, we're... Or we're withholding relational needs of some type. Or uh, you make yourself the victim. You know, you're the, you're the victim in the situation. And, and you, want, you want the pity. And, and that's a way of, that's passive aggressive behavior, right? And so what, what initiates anger is a good question. Many times it's because we think we are right. <laughs> and you say it with me, and the other person is wrong. Now, here's, here's one of these moments where I say, aren't you glad you came? Brace yourself, all right? Many times, we have to make a tough choice when it comes 
to anger. We have to choose righteousness over being right. In your mind, in your heart, you may know you're right. But it may not be wise to say anything. Because Paul says, live peaceable with all men. How many times was Jesus confronted with ignorance of all levels, even hatred? You know, it would be neat to get to heaven and go, okay, Jesus, I want, I want the gospel that was everything you thought, but we never read. <laughs> like, I wonder what that would read like. And so, many times, we're... When it comes to this issue of anger, we're choosing righteousness over being right. And that's key here. And that's tough. And there's nothing easy about this. But James is going to give us some action steps to make this happen in our life. He says, so get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. That first word there's a lot we could talk about here, but that word rid, it's a, it's a term of taking a garment off. Taking a garment off. Rid yourselves of all the fifth and, and evil in your life. And so, a lot of times when it comes to this issue of anger, it's, it's something we've picked up on in, a, in our families. Or something we've picked up on by whoever raised us. We, we, we put on, or it was put on us, some garment that... Like, this is how you respond when someone is wronging you. Or this is how you respond when you know you're right. And what James is saying is, you're going to have to take off those old garments and put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what happens in baptism. And, you know, symbolically, you know, we're, 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 we're buried in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're we're buried into his righteousness, into his blood, in the mind of God. We put on new garments. And God doesn't see the old man. He sees Jesus. And so th this is what James is referring to. He's referring to, like, you, you have to take off those things that, are, that, that, that you, you are, someone put it on or you put it on or that's, you know, you pick that up in the military or you pick that up in the, you know, uh, uh, in the workplace because you had to be tough and, you know, you had to, you know, you had to stand your ground all the time. Like, there's things that we pick up over time and we have to take that off and put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Some have more difficulty than others in doing this because it's been on a long time. Destructive anger is overcome by discarding pride and putting on humility. Destructive anger is overcome by putting off pride and putting on humility. And by doing this, our souls are saved. Our marriages are saved. Our relationship with our children are saved. The relationships with in a body of Christ or in, in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in a workplace are saved. Friendships are saved. Through humility. Not demanding your rights. And so uh, it's, it's gotten really quiet in here. And it's not because there's not a ton of people in here. It's because we're all dealing with this, aren't we? You know, we're all dealing with this. Then James says this. 
But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Don't just listen. You've got to do it. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. And so the mirror is God's word. The longer we look at it, the more we see who we are, really are, or who we want to be. And so the mirror exposes those things that are out of place. You know, you ladies, you know, you've got your makeup to put on, or if you do that, you know, some of you uh, maybe don't, and that's fine. You know, my wife doesn't like makeup, but she does look in the mirror to check her hair. Yeah, you look for the imperfections. You look to see if there's something between your teeth, right? And, uh, or, or whatever, you know. Um, we use it to see the imperfections. The Bible reveals the imperfections in our lives. It not only reveals who Jesus is, or the model for every person, but it also reveals those things that need adjustments or removal. And so for the past 20 minutes, we've been looking into the mirror what do you see about yourself? It's real important. So James goes on to say, you see yourself, but you walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, we're back to that mirror, we're back to the gospel, essentially. That sets you free. And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I tell people this all the time. I tell myself this all the time. God always blesses obedience. God will never bless disobedience. He will never bless his competition. He only blesses the right way of living. And so our anger may be a response to perceived threat or an emotional part of our brain, you know, that is beginning to react quicker, right? So when we talk about anger, it's, it's, it's both psych- psychological, but, it's, but there's also this physical component. So when we get angry, you know, uh, it, it might be because we feel threatened, but uh, our brain reacts quicker uh, the, 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 the emotional part of our brain reacts quicker than the logical part of our brain. And that's necessary, right? If you're in a situation where, you know, you're in a car wreck and you got to get out, you know, like you, you're not thinking about like, is it good to cut my seatbelt off and climb out of the car? No, you're getting out. Like that's the, the our God has designed us to, to live, right? To, to get out of threatful situations. But when that when that same emotional response gets ahead of our cognitive response, our logical response, when it comes to anger, we'll make terrible mistakes. In other words, our brains are wired in such a way to influence us to act before we can properly consider the consequences of our actions. That's why when we get angry, we do and say things that we, like, I can't believe I said that, or I can't believe I did that. Well, it's because the, the, the emotional part of your brain has gotten ahead of the the logic part of your brain. Now, this isn't an excuse for behaving badly, but we, if we understand our bodies and we understand the Scripture, we can begin to control our aggressive impulses, but it takes practice. We're not born good at controlling our anger. Have you not lived or been around a two-year-old? Right? I mean... They get angry quick, and they stay angry a while, and they pout, right? Uh, James gives us two things to overcome anger, and, and these are the things I want you to just hang on to. These are the, the, a couple, couple things I'm going to put up here 
You might want to take a picture of this with your phone when I get it all explained. But we control anger by daily meditation. James says, look carefully into the perfect law. The way that we approach or the way that we deal with our sudden burst of anger is on a daily, regular basis of allowing God's word to transform who we are from the inside out. And I was talking about the yesterday with, uh, with our men's Bible study about meditation. Meditation is different than scripture reading. Sometimes in your scripture reading, you come to a verse and you stop and you go, wow, I haven't seen that verse in this light before. And you begin to like just, just sort of dwell on that verse. Well, this is what we're talking about. Meditation is not emptying our mind of all thoughts like the Eastern mystics say. No, Bible or, or Christian meditation or, or godly meditation is filling our minds with God's word and letting it sit and rest in our brains and avoiding any other distractions for a period of time so that the perfect law can have perfect results in who we are. I love this this logo I put up here is actually the logo that some of you probably have on your phones or tablets. It's uh the Uversion Bible app. And one reason I love the Uversion Bible app app is it gives me an image of scripture to meditate on every day. First thing I do when I wake up after I say my prayers, I open up my phone and I look at that and it gives me a thought. My first thought of my mind is going to be a passage of scripture and sometimes I'll post that and share that on my social media accounts because it's impacted me and I'm like man I'm this is what I'm thinking about today and I'll think about that passage throughout the day and so I'm encouraging you if you're a bible app person that that's a great one that's there's other ones that do similar things but that's the one that I use and so we can rewire our brain by meditating on scripture this is not only we know this from an experiential standpoint, but this is also proven by taking pictures of images of the brain. My wife and I had an opportunity to see some of these pictures by a doctor, Dr. Amen. That's his real name, Dr. Amen, right? And he's done a lot of work with people who struggle with pornography and addictions of all kinds and taken pictures of the brain before and after scripture meditation. Uh, before the brain is wired this way, you can see the neurological pathways and the pictures of that. And then after a period of counseling and, and scripture uh, and meditation over, over months, the brain is functioning and refiring in new ways. It, like this is, this is legit, this is for real, it's documented in, at, at not only in experience, but it's also documented from uh, from from medicine as well. So so anyway, um, uh, when we when when we talk about controlling anger, the first thing is a daily meditation. So that's what we do day in day out, day in day out. We'll get better at controlling anger. The second thing we need to do is asking clarifying questions to better understand how you and the other person feel. That's where we go. This passage where James says. Slow to speak. James is not saying don't say anything or do anything. He's saying keep your mouth shut long enough so that you can think this through. <laughs> That's what he's saying, right? He's wanting us to, to, to ponder what's going on in us and in them. And so um, when we can ask open-ended questions to the other individual to figure out what's going on in their heart... And ask questions to ourselves, what's going on in our heart? 
And so open-ended questions are the best because they allow that person to expand on their feelings uh, rather than just a simple no or yes response. So here's an example of a closed-ended question. So you felt Bob's sermon was too demanding. Yes or no, right? That's, that's a closed... Or, so here's, here's a better question, an open-ended question. What was it about Bob's sermon that challenged you? Right? So that's an open-ended question. So you get my point. By asking questions, we can begin to understand what a person's feelings are. And the most truest form of communication is feelings. We'll say things that we know are the right things to say in situations. But when we begin to actually voice our feelings on, on the issue, we actually become more transparent. And then the response to our own heart is we begin to share how we feel about the issue. Now, feelings are never right or never wrong. They just are. All right? So you can feel your, you know, I made a terrible mistake early on in my marriage when I told Marie how to feel about something. And... Um, her head turned to me, it broke open, and this fiery dragon came out and began to <laughs> assault me. You can't tell me how to feel. Uh, so we, can ne- we never have the right to tell someone how to feel. It really wasn't a fiery dragon. It was just a dragon. But <laughs> my point is this, that, that feelings begin to really expose our heart on the matter. And so that's where we need to get to. And, and that takes relationship. That doesn't happen to a stranger. It's not going to happen in social media. But it can happen in face-to-face relationships. And so um, this is how we control anger. By daily meditation and by being able to pause long enough and ask good open-ended questions to find out where a person's at. I want to wrap this sermon up with this passage, and it seems like an odd passage, but it comes from John 7, 5 through 6. For even as brothers, that includes James, who we just read, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Why do I close this message with this verse? See, James is Jesus' half-brother. And as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, James thinks Jesus is crazy. Not only crazy, but maybe even like a false prophet type of crazy. And Jesus was pausing his trip down to Jerusalem for the festival. And his brother said, you need to go down there. That's where, all your, that's where all your peeps at. That's where all your folks at. That's where your posse's at. You need, to go, you need to go rile them up. In other words, James, including his brothers, were mocking Jesus. When Jesus died on a cross, as much as we know, James was not a believer. He became a believer after the cross. Now, when you look, read the book of James... We know Jesus' words were an influence in his life. We know the Proverbs were, but James' experience was also feeding into his writing that letter. And I think, I think that the reason James addresses anger no less than three times in that one book 
is because James knows the destructive nature of anger, especially when it comes to the will of God. Jesus answers this. He says, my time hasn't yet come. His time of revealing who he is, his time of going to the cross has not yet come. But he says to them, brothers, you could hear Jesus saying this to his brothers. He says, brothers, your time is always here. Now, let me close this way. This might be the moment where your time is here to deal with destructive anger. It might be a time where you get on your knees. There's plenty of room in this room to get on your knees and ask God to help you with anger. Because if we don't deal with this, we won't live the right way of living. We're going to live a destructive path of living. And, you know, we could talk a lot about anger. My wife could tell you about repressed anger and anger that comes from way back in our childhood or wherever. You know, all of that is, is beyond me. I just know this, that if you need to repent of an angry attitude, your time is now. Let's pray. Father God, help us to live a way that reflects grace, not our rights. Father, help us to live in such a way that models Jesus who went to the cross not because He needed to go there, but because He knew He had to be there for us. Throughout all Scripture, we are being taught over and over again that grace trumps pride. Grace trumps being right. Grace trumps the situations we have experienced. The harm that has been brought to us by maybe a, a parent or, or, or a co-worker or a friend. A, a situation where we were unjustly um, accused or we went through something that really wasn't our fault and we're angry about that. We feel an injustice has been done and not been righted. Father, I wish our nation could hear this message, not because I'm preaching it, just because I simply think that it's so relevant. Because your heart is breaking as our hearts are breaking over the tearing of the fabric of of our town, of our, of our culture, where anger is, well, I'm sure the devil is laughing as he sees people hurt one another with angry actions and angry words. And Lord, I just pray that your will would be done on heaven and on earth when it comes to this issue. Help us, Father. We need it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.